Uh, we want to teach and preach the truth here. Amen. Uh, I don't want to hear opinions. I don't know about you. I'm not interested in anyone's opinions. You can turn on the news and get all sorts. You can go on the internet and get all sorts of opinions. But that's not what saves. That's what Gloria was saying, right? That's not what saves. It's the Word of God. Uh, yes. And if we were reminded in Sunday school, uh, there in the middle of the lesson, it had a little uh, extra part right there that it, it talked about what the, the leader of the church, the pastor needs to do. And it said, feed the flock, right? Yes. You, know what, you know what they told me when I, I was ordained? What did they say? They said, the Bible says, preach the word. Yes. And I'm glad we've got it today. I'm so thankful that, uh, and I'm glad God has brought us in here one more time. But uh, I want to look at it, kind of take a subject today. I know it's a little different. Sometimes we take a passage and dig into each verse of the passage. But we're going to jump around to a couple different scriptures today. But I want to look at the mercy of God today. And that's what I want to focus on uh, this morning. And so it's going to be a couple passages. So I'm going to just start with prayer before we do anything else. Lord, I thank you again for this day. I thank you for bringing us in safely. Lord, I thank you for this place to worship you in today and, and that you hear our prayers and that you've answered so many. And Lord, I pray in this time where uh, that you would help me, Lord, help me to preach, Lord, and open up our ears and our hearts for your word. Let it be receptive. And Lord, help us to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, whatever he uh, points out and whatever he is. Uh, uh, shows us, Lord, I pray that we'd just be willing to do it, Lord, to con, uh, confront those behaviors, those sinful behaviors, and Lord, uh, those things that he's showing us that we need to do, that we would push away the excuses today. Oh, and Lord, if anyone's lost today, I pray that they'd come to know you. Any that's unsure would find that they'd know for sure whether they're saved or not. And Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, and in his name we pray, and amen. Amen. So, uh, like I said, we're going to look at the mercy of God this morning, and, and most everyone knows that uh, Adam and Eve were, were the first humans, and, and, and most everyone knows that they were the first ones to sin against God. In Genesis chapter 3, they're there in the Garden of Eden, and, and, and God tells them that they can, do, they can eat of any tree except for one. Uh, but I'm not going to focus on them, because most of us know the story, and if you don't know it, uh, you can read Genesis chapter 3, which is a very important chapter of the Bible, by the way. It, it establishes a lot. Uh, but uh, you may not know that humans aren't the only ones to have sinned against God. There are a group of angels, including the devil himself, Satan, that, yeah. that sinned against God as well. Uh, and I want to look at them for a little bit uh, uh, to kind of show the mercy of God. And that's why I had you start with Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, but there were a group of angels that sinned against God before man was even created. Isaiah 14 verse 12 through 15 gives us a glimpse of that uh, led by the devil. It says this, how art there? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So right there we see, uh, uh, God created the angels to serve him and there were a group of angels led by Satan whose name is also Lucifer and he decided that he is going to raise himself above God right God's got a throne in heaven I'm going to make my throne higher than his right God's receiving worship I want to get greater worship it was all pride 
You see that? It was all based in pride. The devil wanted all the worship that was due to God. And, uh, and, and it says that he, uh, he was cut down from that. And then in Revelation 12, it shows us, it tells us that a third of the angels went with him. So we've got Lucifer, Satan, uh, and a third of the angels decide to rebel against God and do their own thing. Uh, and they are cast out of heaven with Satan. Jude, uh, the book of Jude in chapter 6 says this, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. So some of the angels were sent straight to hell and put in chains and they're still there today. That's what Jude is telling us in verse 6. Now some are still around, some are still able to roam freely about. The devil's one of them, right? We know that because there is this war uh, against the uh, good and evil. There's this war, the spiritual battle against uh, uh, the devil and his angels versus the ones that didn't fall. Uh, so there, there continues to be this conflict, but some are chained up and it says they're reserved in everlasting change under the darkness of the judgment of that great day so they are locked up a group of them that fell with satan uh, and one day they're going to be judged they're not going to get out of it they're not going to be released they're not going to uh, uh, be given a second chance or anything like that but what i noticed is in 2 Peter chapter 2, and if you want to turn to one, this could be one to turn to, but 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is dealing with false prophets, uh, false teachers in this chapter. And he's saying uh, they're going to sneak into the church, right? They're going to sneak in, try to spread their false doctrine, and that's a very real threat. It's a very real threat that someone will try to preach and teach something uh, that sounds good, but doesn't match the Bible. And in fact, you can go on, uh, social media is a big one. You can go through and you can find on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram plenty of uh, so-called preachers that sound good. They say things we like to hear, but they're not backed up with the Bible. And that's the problem right there. And, and the, the real problem is we've got, uh, see, it's one thing to be a false prophet or a false teacher, but it's another thing to let those words go into your ears and not know enough about the Bible to realize it's false. Yeah. Many are deceived today. Why? Because they just won't get into God's word. And some people will say, oh, well, Mike, it's too hard. Well, guess what? You can talk to the author. Yeah. You yeah. can talk to Jesus. He's put the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're saved. That will help you to learn God's word. You know what the key is? A lot of times it's not getting a whole big library of things. A lot of times it's saying, you know what? I'm going to open up God's word. I'm going to take some time out and I'm going to study it. And before I even start, I'm going to pray to God and ask him to help yeah. me. You know, every time I've done that, he's helped me. Every time. And he'll help you too. So uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's talking about false prophets. Uh, like I said, a very real threat, but the truth always uncovers uh, what's a lie or what's deception. And really, I, I'll tell you what, even when you're listening, you should, the best thing would be to take notes if you can. That, that's the best thing as you're listening to preaching. But at the very least, do like the Berean church did. And even when Apostle Paul was preaching and teaching to them, you know what they did later on that night? They got their Bibles out to see whether it's right or not. Yeah. 
Whether it's true or not, they got out the scriptures, and we need to do the same thing. But, but anyway, Peter's talking about false teachers spreading their false doctrine, and, and he reminds them that God sees what they're doing. Right? God's not going to let them get off scot-free. Uh, he says they will be judged uh, in the time to come, in the judgment day. But he gives an example. So he's talking about false teachers. But listen to 2 Peter 2.4. It says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So he's, he's making this argument. He's saying, hey, uh, if God has some of these angels chained up or the other ones that are roaming free, if they are reserved for judgment one day, he'll go on to say, basically, I'm going to judge the false teachers too. I didn't let them go scot-free. And I'm not letting anyone go scot-free. That's what he's saying. That's the argument there in 2 Peter 2, 4. So those angels decided, we're going to leave our position. We're going to leave our calling. We're going to leave the job that God's given us to do. And we're going to rebel against God himself. And God said that I'm going to lock some of them up and the rest, uh, all of them will be judged one day. So whether or not uh, it's a fallen angel that's in hell today or roaming free, none of them will get a second chance. None of them. There's no space for repentance, no mercy for any of these angels that have fallen. The Bible doesn't have it anywhere. They're just waiting for, to be judged one day. And God didn't spare them and he won't spare them in the future. Now, that's hard to think about. But, you know, if we dig deeper and realize God could have made the same choice with us. Yeah. Right? The angels rebelled against God. They knew what was right and they decided to do something else. They rebelled. The devil wanted his throne above and a, a bunch of them followed him for whatever reason. And, and they all made this choice and God said, okay, you're done. One day I'll judge you all and I'll lock you up forever. You're thinking, wow. God could have made the same choice with man and decided that when you and I sinned against him, that was it. When we rebelled against him, that was it. He could have done that. Locked us up, sent some of us to hell immediately, sent, allowed some of us to live the rest of our lives. But one way or another, we were going to stand before him in condemnation till the uh, day of judgment. He could have made that decision. And guess what? God is perfectly allowed, it's perfectly just for him to lock up some of those angels and judge all of them and condemn them to hell one day and then cast them in the lake of fire. He can do that. He's just. He's God. Then you realize God could have chosen the same thing for us. God, it boils down to this. God was not forced to save anyone from their sin. That's right. He wasn't. He didn't have to do that. He wasn't forced to do that. And here's the problem. I hear a lot of churches and or so-called ones and so-called preachers and everything else that you watch them and, and the problem is it's all becoming man-centered today. As if God can't get along without you and I. As if the whole Bible, I, I heard this the other day, somebody was saying the whole Bible is about you. No, it's not. It's not. The book of Jonah is not about me. Right? 
It's not all about me. Now, there are a lot of parts. There, I can use the whole thing to help me, right? I can use the whole Bible to teach me, and it's good for reproof and everything else. But not everything's about me, and not everything's about you. Sorry, but it's true. And you can go somewhere, or you can pull up your phone, or your computer, or anything, and find plenty of people with huge congregations that will tell you it's all about you. And God bows down to you. And God wants to do everything to make you happy. And God wants all these things. It's all a lie. It's a lie. He doesn't owe us anything. In all reality. And the only reason we can even look to him and say that yes, uh, we've got some current benefits and some future benefits. is because God promised it in the beginning. He made the promise. Right? He made the promise. And that's why we have benefits from him. And thank God that a lot of the promises he's made are unconditional. All right? Let's talk. We'll get a little bit legal just for a second, okay? When you make a contract with somebody, what happens? You make a promise. If you're making a contract with me, you make a promise, I make a promise. Right? What happens? Usually, one, somebody needs something. Right? We need the ramp fixed at the church, right? We need that. We need somebody to do that. So then we, we make a promise, a contract with somebody, and they'll say, for this price, we'll do it. We agree, and we pay. And everything's great, right? That's not unconditional. If I decide not to pay or don't want to pay, you're going to say, I'm not doing it. And if they decide not to do it, we're not going to pay them for what they didn't do, right? It's conditional. You gotta do, you gotta make good. And if one side doesn't make good, the other side can break the promise. Aren't you glad God's not like that? There are some conditional promises in God's word, but most of them are not. Because in all reality, if they were, we'd be in trouble. Because we break a lot of things when it comes to God. Right? Remember Abraham when God made a promise to him and he had him get the animals and cut them in half and lay them out. Basically he was going through an Old Testament version of making a contract. And and what Abraham thought was me and God will get into a contract. But no, there's Abraham on the side. A deep sleep falls upon him and he watches God, uh, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, I think, which was God and God made a contract together. Right? The God couldn't lie and they walked through the pieces Uh, signifying that they're going to make a contract together. One of the big things in that story is God is showing that I'm not making a promise with you, Abraham, because if you break it, then I will have to keep going. Right? If salvation was a contract, we'd be in trouble. If if I was saved as long as I did everything perfectly, I'm not saved. Amen? Amen? So it's on most of the promises. So we should just praise God. That he's saying, you know what? I'm going to give you things knowing that you're not going to even make good on your end anyway. What a God. What a God. We would not do that. But he does. These are the benefits. So when we turn around and we say, God, you owe me. Oh, like we deserve anything we've got from God. Nothing. Nothing. Have Have I added to God at all? Have I made life easier on him at all? No. He doesn't owe me anything. That's why it's grace. That's why it's free. Right? 
That's why that mercy is getting, getting things that we don't deserve. Praise God. That's all of that. But he didn't have to do that, right? That's what I'm trying to get across. Uh, he supplies our needs because he said he would. And he promised that he'd do that. And he made that decision. But I'm glad he didn't leave us like the angels, right? I'm glad he didn't leave us like them. We're sinners. We've sinned too. He didn't let uh, those the angels that left their first estate and decided to do something else. I'm, I'm glad he didn't leave us like, like them. Uh, uh, aren't you glad that the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should uh, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God didn't make the decision to send Jesus Christ to die for the world because it was a good business decision, right? He didn't do that uh, because we were worthy or anything like that. He did that uh, uh, knowing that many would reject the sacrifice, right? He knew, he knew that going into it, but he did it because he loved us. And that love is greater than any love you and I can create. It's indescribable, that, that level of love. We're incapable of loving anyone like God loves us. Amen? If we could see the future, you think of someone you love the most. And if you could see the future from the beginning and know every time they'd fail and every time they'd aggravate you and every time they would hurt you at the beginning, you might not get into that relationship. But God did, knowing all the same. That's how much he loves us. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did that in our worst state is when he decided, uh, when he made the choice to die for us. We had nothing to give to Jesus Christ. We had no virtue, no goodness. Our goodness was as filthy rags, the Bible says. Uh, we were full of sin, knowing that even after many of us are saved, we'd have times of pride, times of trying to be self-sufficient, times of rebellion. Yet still he decided to send Jesus Christ to this earth, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to perfectly follow the Father will leading all the way up to the cross of Calvary where he bled and he died and for six hours on the cross he took our punishment in our place he did that that is the love of God but he didn't have to amen he didn't have to but it's not just any love but that love and see, uh, even, even the people that, are, uh, uh, that, that love to tickle men's ears, they'll talk about the love of God. Oh, but it wasn't just the love of God. It was the love of God mixed with the justice of God, mixed with the holiness of God all together. Because love without justice means that the sins could just be ignored and you wouldn't deal with it. Right? What's this world say they want right now? They want justice for everything. Everything. Justice. But yet, they want to be able to live in their sin and rebellion in God and not have him be just, right? Oh, I don't want God to punish my sin, everyone else's, but not mine. That's not love without justice. The justice meant someone had to die. And it would have been us, but Jesus died on our place on the cross. That's how he fulfilled that. And love without holiness, that's another thing they want, right? With that you take away holiness from the equation and nothing's a sin. You decide what you want is right. 
What I believe is right today is right for me. Isn't that what we hear a lot? Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what's right or wrong. Uh, don't tell me uh, your, uh, it's your truth and my truth. No, it's, there's an absolute truth. Amen. And God said, I am holy. Yes. He wants us to be holy too, by the way. Amen. But that holiness showed us that we're sinners in the first place. That we, uh, that we have gone against God. See, if there's no holiness requirement, then there's no sin, then you don't need a sacrifice, and everyone's just okay. And if that's the case, why did Jesus die if there were no sins in the first place? He died for no reason. That's why it takes love and justice and holiness to put it all together. That's what happened. Someone had to take the place of the guilty, and that someone's Jesus Christ. Amen. But if you die without Jesus Christ, if you don't trust in his salvation, if you don't trust in what he did on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, if you don't trust the blood that he shed, and you don't repent, and you don't call on his name for salvation, if you die without Jesus Christ, you know Jesus himself said what would happen. You know, some people say, I, I, I don't want to hear Paul. I don't want to hear Peter. I don't want to hear any of those. Only what Jesus said. Well, good. I'll tell you what Jesus said. If you die without him, Luke uh, 16, 23, uh, talking about a certain rich man that died without him. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the cool or dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Jesus said that. He said you die without me. The certain rich man it said he died and was buried and he opened his eyes and he was in torment. Just that fast. That's right. And he wasn't drinking beer. He wasn't smoking a joint or anything else they say they're going to do in hell today. No, in fact, he said just one drop of water. If that would just, just one drop, one time, touching my tongue would be merciful. That's what he said right there. That's what Jesus said. Guess what? It takes water to make beer, so there's no beer. There was no help, no mercy. And in fact, if you die that way, you will stay in hell until the day of judgment. And by, the Bible says that hell will give up its dead and you will stand before Jesus Christ. He'll be sitting on a great white throne. And in fact, it's the same Jesus Christ that before left all of heaven, left the glories of heaven to be born of a virgin, uh, to live a sinless life, uh, to experience the pain, the betrayal, the suffering and everything else. The same Jesus that was whipped and that by his stripes you you can find healing, but you rejected that. The same Jesus that walked up the hill to Calvary uh, uh, first had help carrying his cross, but then he carried it the rest of the way, allowed himself to be nailed, his hands and his feet to the cross. It was uh, uh, hoisted up there between two thieves. That's the Jesus. You reject him, you will stand before him. He won't be meek and lowly like he did the first time. He won't be as a lamb uh, led to the slaughter that Isaiah 53 talks about. No, the king of kings and Lord of Lords, you will stand before him and you may try to uh, make up an excuse. Some will say, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we do many of these things in your name? Uh, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. That same Jesus you'll stand before 
And here's what he'll say, maybe after you try to argue, he'll remind you you rejected everything, you rejected his sacrifice for sin, and he will pronounce judgment on you. In Matthew 24, 41, again, these are in red, this is what Jesus said, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's right. No more second chances, no more purgatory, no switching sides, no Lazarus dipping the cool of his finger in water to, uh, to cool you off, none of that. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you reject salvation, you will be just like the angels that fell. You'll be in hell, waiting for the judgment day, and then you'll all be thrown together in the lake of fire. For eternal punishment that never ends. And here's the thing. Ooh. Ooh, Mike, I don't like that part. I don't like that. See, it's easy to ignore hell, right? And preaching and teaching and witnessing. It would be much easier if we didn't have to talk about it. We just set it aside because it's offensive, right? Hell's offensive. Surely, uh, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. That's what we hear all the time, isn't it, right? Uh, there's no way he's going to really send people to punishment forever with no chance of getting out. Surely, uh, it's got to be something else, right? Surely, it's symbolic. It's a state of mind or something. No, no. And it would be much safer and easier to teach that either God accepts everything and every lifestyle and rewards everyone no matter what. And I would pause right there and remind you that would be a heaven without a hell. And what would that be like if you never separated anybody and never got rid of sin? A, a place where there's good people and bad people? You're in it. I don't want this. You want to live like this for eternity? I don't. I want the sin gone. Don't you? And then there's another group that says, well, there's no way he punishes forever, uh, eternally. There's no way. Maybe he'll punish for a while, and then he'll just poof him out of existence. He'll annihilate him. That's the big fancy word they use. Uh, or, but whatever happens, uh, there's no way that there's an eternal punishment. But hey, that brings us back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Those are false teachers. Just because you want to hear that and want to believe that, Whenever the Bible talks about judgment, whether it's reward afterward or punishment afterward, it always talks about eternal, never-ending, everlasting, it's clear. However you leave this life, if you leave it with Jesus Christ saving your soul, or if you choose to reject or just don't care or don't believe in Jesus or anything else but accepting him, there are two paths, and that's it. One leads to heaven with Jesus for eternity. I don't want a temporary heaven. Do you? And the other one leads to hell for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches, whether people want to hear it or not. And then what happens, right? Here's what they say. Now, now it's God's fault, right? How could a loving God punish a sinner, right? How could eternally, how could this happen? You know what we need to do? We need to flip the question around. You know what we need to do? How wicked could somebody be 
that they would reject the biggest showing of love this world has ever seen that's tied to a free gift that you don't have to do anything but give up your old life, admit you're a sinner, believe that he died on the cross and was buried and he rose on the third day, and just call on his name for salvation. How wicked could you be that you would reject all of that and say, God, I don't care. You're not loving. You're mean to me. You didn't give me what I wanted. I, I got a bad lot in life. Or whatever your excuse is, you are wicked. And that's the truth. And if you're that wicked to reject him, you're in the same company as Satan himself. And you're going to go to the same place forever. I don't want to live with the devil anymore. I'm glad one day he's getting locked up forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. And guess what? It's hard to say, but I don't want to live with anyone that's going to make a choice to reject Jesus Christ either. He's my king. He's my savior. He's done everything for me. I don't understand why he died for me. I don't understand why he called me to preach. I don't understand why he loves me as much as he does. I don't understand why he's given me so many second, third, fourth, fifth chances. I don't understand why he would let me even serve him. Right? I don't understand it. I don't know why he loves us this much. It doesn't make any sense to me. I have let him down so many times. I, I, I mean, I'm nearly worthless to him, yet he loves me. And he said, not only that, you're one of my children. I used to be an enemy of God. Now I'm one of God's children. Not only that, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, one day he yeah. says I'll be able to sit on the throne with him. I don't understand these things. I don't deserve it and neither do you. And for someone to say none of that's good enough, you're wicked. You're wicked. You are, you are in deception. You are so far from the truth. You don't know what you're doing. Because you're on the devil's side. And guess what? He doesn't even love you. He hates you. He's a murderer and a liar. And he takes pleasure in people dying without God. He doesn't love you. In fact, in fact, you will get there, the Bible says, and you will look narrowly on him. If you go to hell, you will see the devil one day himself. And all the deception will be gone. All the pretty, uh, everything pretty about him will be gone. And you'll see who he really is. And it'll be like, and they'll say, he's the one that did this weekend in Israel. He's the one that we followed. Wickedness. Wickedness. He paid the price. He did it all. What more mercy do you want? What more love do you want? What more could he have done? What more could God do to prove to you he loves you? Tell you what he won't do. He won't ignore your sin. He won't just let you into heaven because you're a pretty good person. No, you're coming through Jesus Christ or you're not coming at all. And that's the truth. Whether people want to hear it or not. If you've sinned against God, disobeyed his commandments, you've rebelled against him and everything else. Uh, and uh, here's the thing. If you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, Romans 10, 13, because maybe the devil's trying to convince you today uh, that you've done too much. It says, for whosoever, that's anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. So if you reject that, again, you're no different than the rebellious angels and the devil. But don't blame God that you're there. 
He gave you every way of escape through him. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of the reward, that's basically a fancy way of saying, if we got everything that we should have gotten from sin, right? If we had to really pay for the sins, verse 3 says this, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. There is no escape if you reject Jesus Christ. I'll tell you again what will happen to you. This is awful, but this is what will happen. You die rejecting Christ or not turning to him. Again, remember, you'll open your eyes in torments in hell as soon as you die. You won't escape judgment. You'll stand before him one day. And you won't escape the lake of fire. And since you can't escape today from a God who sees everything and knows everything, you need to come to him today. You need to find mercy in him today. In fact, quit playing around. We're talking about eternity here. I don't know about you. I put a lot of thought into when I switched jobs and went from one company to another company. I put a lot of thought into it, knowing that you know, if I work here till I retire, that's, you know, that's a couple decades, right? Prayed about it. You know, wanted to make, did research about it and all those things. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're uh, looking for a house or something like that. You put a lot of research into it. That's a big decision. You're going to be there for a while, right? We're talking about eternity. Yeah. What bigger decision is there in this life? Right. There's none. There's none. Where are you going to end up today? Unfortunately, we're seeing them die young. You're not promised tomorrow. Right. You're not. Since you can't escape, you've got to turn to Jesus. How do I do it? Romans 10, 9, I'm closing with this. That if thou should com- shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shall be saved. Yeah. You need to turn to him yeah. today. What will happen? Saved from sin. Saved from condemnation. Saved from hell. Saved from the lake of fire. We need his mercy today. Right? God didn't have to save us. He didn't have to send his son. He chose to send his son because he loved us. Remember, love, you can't force love. Right? You can't legislate love. You can't make rules and call it love. No. He chose. Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. If you've never called upon Jesus to save you from your sins, you've never admitted you're a sinner, you're lost today. And you could turn out of this drive, go down the road, and there's that S curve right there. And we've seen several head-on accidents right down the road. You might not even make it out. Mike, I don't like the doom and gloom. Guess what? If you're a little uncomfortable right now, and that makes you think about eternity, then good. Because the rich man in hell would have given anything for someone to be a little uncomfortable to him while he was still alive, while he still could have turned to the Lord. And ask everyone to stand.